welcome to season two, episode 13, the all Western Canada episode. time doing it and, and both of us in person in a long time it has it is i was in saskatoon for a job and decided to rent a car and pop over to alberta for the weekend not sure it's legal it's definitely oh, it's definitely, definitely not legal not covid friendly it's, but uh it's only five hours so i had to go visit yeah and so, yeah, I guess this, but this is the first episode in season two, where this we've done the, entirely yes. in person. It's more like season one. It's yeah. a throwback to season one. Exactly. It's a flashback episode. One of those horrible episodes that they did in, like, Friends every season, where it was just clips of other yes. episodes, because they right. got lazy, they didn't yeah. want to write a new episode. Yeah. Except hopefully better than that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good times, bad times. Yeah, this is one of the few times where I actually have two things in good times or anything in good times a good week. and i actually have two things that's how you know it's a good week there are two whole things <laughs> in good times um yeah so first off um the new bc ndp government uh where they just they just won a majority went from minority to majority it is the first government in canadian history with a majority female caucus there are 29 female MLAs for the BC NDP to 28 male MLAs. Now, the cabinet was just announced. I don't know if it's a gender-balanced cabinet or if the, there are more women than men. The premier is still a man. I know that. Uh, John Horgan. But it's a step. It's, it's a very... I mean, it, it's, it's a step. It's a slim majority of one, but it's still a majority. Still uh, made history. And so uh, congrats to the BC NDP. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, I should... Hopefully they're the best people. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they are. Well, uh, I mean, I'm still a little mad at them for calling the election to begin with. Yeah. Um, screwed over the BC Greens, who I have a lot of sympathy for. And yeah, I should check up. You know what, for the next time, I'm going to follow up and see if their cabinet is balanced. Because if they have a majority female caucus, but then like a majority male cabinet, that's not good. That's, it needs to be at least equal. You well, know? it's basically equal number of... Men and women. Men and women so in it should, caucus. Yeah. yeah, so it should be at least equal. Yeah, and then uh, I did some phone banking for the federal NDP, my local candidate, Heather McPherson, who we've had on the show. Um, yesterday, I called from my living room 123 people. It took me three and a half hours. Nobody swore at you? Nobody swore at me. It was it was a good it was good. Most people were supportive, which I think it surprises a lot of people because I'm calling in Alberta, but what you gotta realize is I'm calling in Edmonton Strathcona, which is fifty-one percent NDP according to the three three eight Canada rating. The rest of Alberta is very conservative. Every other riding is particularly conservative, but this very particular writing is very NDP, so I'm not surprised that most people were supportive. You know, like if 51% of the writing is supportive, and then the phone list that the NDP have, yeah, most people are going to be supportive. Right. But I did, I did talk to one woman who said that she's NDP provincially all the way, but tends to lean liberal federally, and that she always considers voting for the NDP, and she's not against it, and she's open to it, and she likes some of the ideas, but tends to lean more liberal, but makes up her mind closer to an election. But I think that's why conservatives do well 
in areas in Edmonton and Calgary where the NDP dominate provincially because people who they coalesce around the NDP provincially because that's basically the only other option to the UCP because the Alberta Liberals don't exist anymore, essentially. They had one seat after the 2015 election, which they lost in the 2019 election. (laughs) But then when it comes to federal, people think, well, the Liberals... Or they either lean more liberal or perhaps think that the liberals have the best, better chance of winning because overall, the liberals do have a better chance of winning government than the NDP. But in Alberta-specific ridings, no, uh, they don't. But when you get that split where a bunch of people who vote NDP provincially then go vote liberal, the conservatives end up pushing through. So I think that's why... Because we've talked about um, before on the show, like, why did the NDP win huge areas provincially and not federally? And that's got to be it. That's got to be it. And is there more than one conservative provincial party? No. There used to be. Oh. There used to be the... In 2015, there was the Wild Rose, and there were the Progressive Conservatives. And the Wild Rose was kind of like reform, and the Progressive Conservatives were like Progressive Conservatives. But then Jason Kenney came in, and despite the fact that he was more Wild Rose reformist, he ran for leader of the Progressive Conservative Party of Alberta on the basically sole promise to unite them with the Wild Rose, doing what they did federally in order to beat the NDP. They created the United Conservative Party. It's a horrible party because I would never, I would never vote for a leader who said... I only have one thing in mind. The only thing I want to do is beat the other party. And so I'm going to throw anything you might care about out the window in order to cooperate with this party that we generally have a lot of disagreements with when it comes to many social issues. But, you know, we don't care about that. Our sole priority is to beat the other party. That's more important than anything else. Yeah, that's not not ideal. Yeah. But he was elected by a landslide, and like 90% of the Progressive Conservative Party was like, yeah, let's join forces with the Wild Rose. Who cares if they hate anybody who's not white and straight and a man? But they, uh, they, they are in trouble, I think, come next election. Maybe. They're, they've definitely been on a downward slide since they got in. Jason Kenney's never been a popular person. Even throughout the 2019 election, he was personally less popular than Rachel Notley was. Um, when you didn't ask, when you asked who do they like more and not who you're going to vote for. Right. Rachel Notley always came out ahead because she is a likable, nice person. Jason Kenney is not. Yeah, the, the a lot of polls show them tied. A new poll that was admittedly quite biased, it was done by a union, showed the NDP ahead. Right now, the UCP would still win a majority because the NDP needs to make inroads in some rural uh, Albertan areas in order to like win a majority, have a chance at a majority. But the fed- the provincial election was only last year. The NDP got two and a half years, basically, to continue this trend of gaining in popularity. Yeah. And if they do at this rate, the UCP is in big trouble. I don't know that they'll ever gain a lot of popularity in the rural areas. They've already, if, if you look at the 338 provincial for Alberta, they have swung, they have a shot. They have tightened it and, in fact, are slimly leading in some rural areas. They don't need too many. Right, if they if they manage to clean up Edmonton, which they will and did last time, and then they didn't clean up Calgary, but right now they're looking at cleaning up Calgary because they've gained a lot of ground in Calgary. That's where they've gained most of their ground. And then you just need, you know, you you can get a few more seats out of places like Lethbridge, Grand Prairie, where there's you know two seats in each of those, and then three or four, maybe five rural ridings. Maybe I'm being generous. Maybe ten rural ridings, and you can probably get a slim majority. Well, they got a couple of years. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I'm if saying. COVID ends as well, and then people might be more uh, happy to vote conservative again. It's just a, a lot of it's the handling of of the COVID for conservatives right now, isn't it? 
I think that's what their sharp decline has been, but they were on a sort of slower decline since they've been elected. Yeah, I was actually some, talking to somebody in Saskatoon who has relatives in Alberta, and they were saying that it was it was it was on the decline beforehand, and it's because with the price of oil now and in the foreseeable future, the oil sands are are not really a go, and like they're just not economic, and there's no other industry, and the conservatives aren't really making any steps to get other industries and. He, he felt, his relatives felt who lived here, that the party to do that was the NDP. Yeah, well, when the NDP were in power, they spent a good amount of time diversifying. That was one of their big promises, was not abandon the oil industry, but diversify the economy so that we're not reliant on the oil industry. Yeah. And then Jason Kenney ran on, no, let's be reliant on the oil industry, let's the in- energy industry, let's rebuild it, elect us, and we will bring it back stronger than ever, achieve that, you know, 70s, 80s prosperity that we had based on the oil unfortunately, industry. Unfortunately, the oil sands are just not profitable unless oil's at close to 100 bucks a barrel. Yeah, I mean, no, he... he and he doesn't get to control the barrel price of oils, of yeah. oil, uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. They just don't make enough, the, the, the OPEC does, basically. Yeah, I mean, there was a point in the summer where oil was going for less... The, the, the barrel was literally worth more than the oil that was in the barrel. Yeah, no, it's... it's. I mean, either Jason Kenney... Like, it's one of two things. It, totally unbiasedly, either he doesn't understand how the oil industry works, or he was lying, I think. I mean, a lot of people think they... Uh, a lot of people think... You can make things more efficient, or what? Uh, but it's just—it's just the process is just too hard to get it out. I don't, who knows what he was yeah. thinking? But yeah. maybe he thought the price would go up again. That's very possible too. Yeah. I don't—I don't see it happen. I mean, it just hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, and I don't see it happening. And the only reason—I think the only reason the oil industry even is still happening is because of all the government subsidies and investments. Yeah. That like the government's been propping it up for for years, years in and Alberta. Years now. Yeah, yeah. And it's Saskatchewan has a pretty good oil industry, but it's not sands. It's just pumping oil out of ground, and it's crude oil. Yeah, you don't have to press it out of sands. We've come a long way from phone banking. Yes, we have. <laughs> we have indeed. And it's and, and other good times. I was reading today how Canada is not last in line for a vaccine, despite what Aaron O'Toole will tell you. He, we have pre-ordered twenty million doses of that uh, RDNA vaccine from whatever company it is that's making it. We, if they don't advertise with us, I'm not. I'm not pushing them on our. <laughs> we have a huge American audience, and and uh, and then something a little bit confusing. We have an option to buy another 36 million doses. Doses. Now, I mean, my math says 36 and 20 is 56 million. That's also my math, yes. Okay. And that seems like we have a dose for everyone in the country and then a dose for the adults to carry around with them. Yeah. Yeah, because we, uh, we have 37 million people in Canada. So that's 19 Almost, million yeah. extra, extra doses. doses. Just like, hey, anybody want a second? <laughs> seconds, anyone? They're really good. It's like, we don't have seconds for everybody. So first come, first serve, people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I really like... And the thing is, that can't be cheap. Why? I really don't understand why oh. we're spending all that extra money unless we're planning to give it to countries that can't afford it, which is great, generous. I would support that. But I would like to know that that's the plan. Yeah, it would it would make sense to say we're buying you know, forty or forty million for us and 
16 million to give away or whatever yeah uh, and I, I you know what I'm I'm also on, I'm on board yeah for 40 even maybe 45 million for us to in case I some don't know, break on the way yeah like, like, like eggs yeah, yeah yeah like some sort of contingency but an extra 19 million that's like are you expecting half of what you're order, over half of what you've ordered to, to break yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think they should go alphabetically anyway just I mean, we're third no we're not there are well, lots of A countries well, and B countries. Third letter. We get it pretty early. We're yeah. pretty early. Puts the US and the UK and all these other yeah, big countries right near the bottom. But the United Kingdom would probably go like, uh, Britain? We're Britain? <laughs> yes. They register themselves. That's true. Under Britain. And uh, the states would be America, comma, United States of. Yeah. <laughs> There's ways around it. Everyone starts uh, putting under... Ireland rejoins the UK just <laughs> briefly to get under Britain. We're Britain. We're British. <laughs> uh, some bad times. You got some bad times? I do. Alberta has become the worst province in Canada for COVID. That's probably why I'm not supposed to visit. Yeah. yeah. Surpassing Ontario and Quebec. Now, we were already... We were... A few weeks ago, we were third in worst per capita. It went Quebec, Manitoba, us. And that is per capita, so our case numbers were still lower than Ontario and Quebec. Now, it has gotten so bad, just not, not even per capita, by numbers. We have higher case numbers per day than Ontario and Quebec. Today was sev- over 1,700. Yeah, 1,731 cases. Yeah, it is a disaster. It is horrible here. I've been lucky. It hasn't really affected me or anybody I know, but with our population... We were already doing bad considering our population per capita. Like I said, we were third, worse than Ontario. But with our population, the fact that a population with like the fifth, we have like one fifth the population of Ontario and we have more cases for them. That is, that just shows that we're in a a big mess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'll go more into that uh, once we get to Trudeau and Trump. Well, after, after Thanksgiving in the States, not shockingly uptick in hospitalizations due to covid in 26 different u.s states uh you know i i get it i mean it's hard for me to really say you should stay away from your family when i just drove five hours into the hotbed of canadian covid yeah to say hello for a a few hours but you know we've been it's still just sort of the two of us and we've been socially distanced and so it's not quite the same but anyway i understand that you're gonna go see your family during thanksgiving Hopefully that's all you did, though, and not went beyond that and, and just went crazy. And But you still had to you still had to keep up your social distancing, mask wearing, things like that. 26 cases uh, with hospitalizations up is, is not great. 26 states. 26 states. Yeah. No, but you know, I do have to say, if the U.S. had their Thanksgiving at the correct time, they would have seen this at a time where they had lower cases and they would have been able to handle this it is better. True. This is so true. So this is what... I mean, this is because they have Thanksgiving at the wrong time. I don't know if they were much better in October, but maybe a little they bit. They had to have been. They couldn't have been worse. Yeah, that's true. The actor who played Darth Vader, not voiced Darth Vader, but actually... The man in the suit. The man in the suit that had the epic lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan. Yeah. All those flips. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> David Prowse passed away at the age of 85 today. So Condolences to his family and, mm-hmm. and may the force be with him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be honest. He would have been, uh, you know, the voice was a big part of the threatening, but I think that if it had been James Earl Jones in the suit, he would have been slightly less threatening. Yeah. <laughs> so the stature was also important, and David Prowse 
was all stature. Now there is, I don't know why I put this in bad times, it's just more interesting, but... I think it's a really bad time if you're an otter. No, sorry, I'm doing the bottom one first. Oh, never mind, sorry, we're getting, we're getting to the otter later. Yeah, that's, I'm gonna end with the otter. Okay. The Ottawa, the Iowa GOP, there's an Iowa GOP candidate that is, they did a recount, because it, it was within 47 votes or something, they did yeah. a recount, and she's now winning by six votes. Yeah. That is crazy. That is that is really close. And it's one of those stories, and they happen, I have to say, almost every election, you get one, and it's normally like a low-level office, like a congressional candidate, or um, there was one in a provincial legislature in Newfoundland at their last election, where I think it was also the person won by six votes. But it's one of those things where it's like, this is why every vote counts. Yeah. You may, in most elections, you're right. Your person's going to win whether you're a candidate or not, by probably thousands of votes, or at least over 1,000. But you still got to go vote for cases like this, where, I mean, it's bad times for me because I support the Democrats, and, and the Democrats have a very slim majority in the House of Representatives right now. They have 218, which is one over the half mark, so very slim majority. This second seat would do a lot for them, but they might not get it because seven more people who maybe leaned Democrat but thought, ah, my vote's not going to count, Didn't did go, go vote. Yeah. This is why... It's just like one big family. Yeah. Or two families. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is, right? It's not many people, and and this is why every vote counts. This is And this is why these stories, I think, you know, you got to pay attention because they happen. They happen almost every election. And I, I hope... I, I'm sure there will be another recount. I'm sure the Democrats will now... Like, I'm sure that was a... I'm sure they'll sue again for another recount. There are many stories of multiple recounts. You're not limited to one as long as your campaign pays for it. But uh, so I'm sure there'll be another one. Who knows what'll happen? But it's close, man. It's close. There was a... Donald Trump paid for a recount. His campaign paid for a recount in Milwaukee. Wisconsin, yeah. That's coming in the TNT thing. Okay, we'll talk about that later. I'm getting ahead of the game too much today. You are. And and back to the river otters, there's... uh, this is from a this is from a CBC article, so it is a legit news story. There's a new study that found hydrocarbon contaminants typically associated with oil sands operations are contributing to decreased penis bone strength among river otters. The poor otters. The poor, poor otters. What's the headline for that article? Weaker penis bone in river otters linked to oil stand oil sands contaminants in new study. Yep, that's a headline. They're doing a number of tests. They're concerned because brittle penis bones could impair the species' ability to reproduce. It's a plague. And affect other species up and down the food chain. So that's not great. No. This is why we need to reduce our carbon emissions to help the horny otters. Yes, that's right. The They're doing the jokes in McMaster University. I don't know why they aren't doing them in Alberta, but they're doing them in McMaster. Because Alberta's not going to sanction anything that makes the oil sands look bad. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Cheryl Quenville is doing the research there, said, It's a new area of research for my lab group, certainly. Is it really? (laughs) I have to admit, there was a few few jokes flying around, especially with the destructive tests. (laughs) They had to determine how much force it would take to break the penis bone. Ah. Yeah. So. I'm also curious as to how much force it takes. You could probably call Cheryl. Cheryl knows. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. There's a kind of hush all over the world. Tonight, all over the world, you can hear the sounds. 
All right, all over the world. And to start, I think we only have two stories that are all over the world today. Um, there are massive protests in Paris under a new law that would criminalize filming the police. And ironically, there is a film of the police beating a music a producer, three policemen, like beat him to a pulp and then drag him off. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, so, okay, so one side of this is it's bad because of COVID, you know? Like these are, there's tens of thousands of people in a huge protest, which is not COVID safe, but also this bill is a huge infringement on what I would say is a, a basic right. Like in a democracy, you should, in a free country, you should definitely be allowed to, to film anybody you want. Well, not anybody you want, but I think public servants. If your job, especially the police, because otherwise, how are you... That's how you hold them to account. Like, they're not some sort of well, secret no. police. I mean, I mean, we went through hundreds of years of not filming police officers. Yeah, I know. And police corruption and, and abuse was even worse than it is now. Uh, potentially. I mean, it definitely helps. I just... I'm not... I'm not a hundred... I don't... I don't know that there should be a law, but it's, I guess, I guess if they're, you just have to be careful how you use those recordings. What some people consider to be wrong might not be. I mean, okay, things like the George Floyd, yeah, I think everybody agrees what's going on there. But we would never have seen that if we weren't allowed to record the police. And there would never have been the huge movement that has developed in the United States that is continuing to this day. Yeah. Like that, I would say... That contributed a lot to Joe Biden's victory. It didn't hurt. That's why I think... Now, listen, if if you're going to have your police wear body cams at all times, and that footage can't be erased, they don't even have the option to erase that footage, then maybe you can say the public can't, because we're going to get that from the body cams. But if you're not going to give body cams, and you're just going to allow your police... You can't just allow them to operate in essential... Like, what's essentially, like, a secret police. Or what happens... The problem is... what, ha- Or you need to break the... the- blue wall or whatever it's called right so that if somebody crosses the line other police will say yeah that you went over the line yeah but i don't think we're there yet probably not i think we still need the filming yeah i mean i mean there is a lot of cops that wear body cams now and it seems like a good idea it's you know i worked with diamonds for a lot of years and we were constantly under surveillance and i was happy to do it because i knew if anything ever went missing i was under camera Every minute I was there, there's, you know, I can prove that it, we did. It, it was good. It was a good thing for me. Yeah. So if you're doing your job properly, there's no issues with with filming it. Now, you know, people are going to say it's a privacy issue, but you're right. They're public servants. are getting paid by taxpayers' money. Absolutely. So. It's it's a public job. If you're going into the public sphere knowingly, as you're going to be a public servant, but only when you're in they, the public sphere. Only when they have their uniform on. Yes, I agree with that. Once when you're off the job, you're off the job. Yeah. But when you're out in uniform, I think you have to be uh, people have to be allowed to film you. Yeah, it feels a little bit saying they have to be allowed to film you feels a little bit. I don't know. I think it's I think I think the body cams is a better option, but if you're a, I still don't think you should have a law that says you can't film them. Yes, yes. You can just walk down the street and film, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's no expectation of privacy when you're in a public place. So how how can you make it that the police have have that. have that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say and I'll, yeah, but it's also like you said, unless the police are planning to do something overtly violent or illegal, 
they have nothing to worry about from being filmed. Yeah, but that's that's a slippery slope that argument. But but I do I do. Uh, well, it's the one you just made. With yeah, the... I know, but I'm not sure it was it was. It's it's not a great argument, but it is an argument. But the body cams and I think are good. And what is the argument is in public places anybody can be filmed. You are filmed walking down the street. Yeah, especially in Europe, CCTV cameras all over the place. Even here, there's yeah, it's more in Europe. But yeah, here as well. And so I I just I don't think. I don't. I think the law seems like a bad idea, obviously, but you do have to be careful. Like that, it shouldn't be the public that judges these these videos or whatever, or even the body cams. It should be if it's going to be the public, it needs to be an independent board that's well trained and well versed on police techniques and tactics. Yes. A lot it can't of... be the general public, which is which is the problem with what with what happens now. It is the general public that makes a decision before, you know, before yes. anybody else does. The, the, the problem with that, though, is that the entire system right now is built around the protection of police at all costs. Which you already said, like the blue wall or whatever. This, and, and that's fellow police officers. But also the system just automatically believes police over anyone else. And I think if we did have truly independent, well-trained boards on police tactics that weren't former or current police officers, then I think it wouldn't need to be the public. But right now, I trust the public over the system to judge what is an abuse of power because the system has been letting police go on police brutality and abuses of power and racial profiling for decades, if not centuries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these these guys put, you know, once... I think it's obvious. In a lot of cases, it's obvious. And if it's not obvious, then we then I don't think the general public should judge. George Floyd was obvious. That guy getting shot in the Wendy's parking lot was obvious. The guy getting shot with his kids in the car to me was obvious. But the ones that are are more technical that aren't aren't quite that black and white, I'm not sure should be. And I can't think of any off the top of my head right now because they generally, I guess they don't they don't get the popularity. They don't go viral. Well, because they're not as obvious. Yeah. So. So that's, uh, I guess that's, well, I guess you're that's si- the way it works. You're just essentially conceding that the public doesn't judge the obvious ones. Oh, interesting. We'll see what happens with it. Yeah. Anyway, moving uh, across that continent from the top left to the bottom right, I suppose that would be, what, north northwest to southeast? Over to South Korea, anyway. South Korea, the government recently said they foiled a North Korean attempt to hack their pharmaceutical and government companies' pandemic work on a vaccine. There are no confirmed cases in North Korea because everything's fine in North Korea always. Yep. Somebody said they just but shoot people once they get it there. That wouldn't surprise me. But South Korea believes it's highly unlikely that there wasn't an outbreak considering how much trade, direct trade, North Korea has with China. Yeah. North Korea and Russia have also tried to hack pharmaceutical companies in Canada, the UK, and the US, presumably because they're not doing a good job at creating their own vaccine. Russia already has a vaccine. I don't know why they try to have the Sputnik V. They're being offered to anybody who wants it. Yeah. Come and get your Sputnik shot. That's uh, that one. They're probably putting microchips a little, in you. A little Sputnik boost. <laughs> that I, I do. I would believe the conspiracy theories that they're putting microchips in uh, you. I would if it's not from get Russia. the Russian vaccine. Yeah, no, me neither. Or the North Korean one if, if they develop. Definitely that. not the North Korean one. If <laughs> that, I had to pick one, I'd probably take Russia over North Korea. But yeah, me too. It's probably probably the problem is you know Stalin died of a very uh, of, of something he might have survived if 
there had been any competent doctors left in uh, Moscow when he had a, his massive stroke. But what happened was he would go see a doctor and the doctor would say, you're not in good health. And then he would have that doctor killed because Stalin is perfect, can't be weak, you know? So then he had this massive stroke and all the doctors there were noobs. Like, there was no... Like, he literally had killed all the good doctors in Moscow, so he died. And I'm thinking maybe the same thing happened with Putin in the vaccine. Could be. He killed all the best pharmaceutical people, and now they're in a bit of a bind. Well, if you can't do it yourself, steal it. All right. Trudeau and Trump, the segment with a lifespan now. Yeah. It's very quickly... Don't count them out. It's not over yet. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's it's true. The Electoral College hasn't voted yet, and if there are more than 36 faithless electors, Trump could win. You never know. You know, I don't fully trust all the electors being sent from Georgia. I'll be honest. I don't even fully trust all the ones being sent from Arizona. But, uh, we'll see. Anywho, that's Trump. We'll talk about that later. Trudeau, the government is under fire for a recent UN vote that regarded the state of Israel. Specifically, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland is being accused by the Conservatives of being anti-Israel. It started when foreign affairs critic and your Ontario MP Michael Chong rose in question period to ask the government why they voted against the state of Israel at the UN General Assembly. Chong noted Canada voted in favor of another UN resolution on Palestinian self-determination last December. Moves, he said, that are contrary to our long-standing Canadian policy of opposing resolutions that signal out Israel. Israel, pardon me. I will say I'm reading right now from a Huffington Post article. Credit where credit is due. And I'm going to pause there for a moment. That's not even the main part of the story. But any position that says we're going to blindly support this country uh, no matter what... I say is a bad one. Yeah, I, I think you have to you have to look at anybody, even like, even the states. I would say look at you have to say case by case. Yeah, like you can't just blank blanket. Other, other than other than Canadian policies, <laughs> yes, we should probably vote for depending on each policy. Yeah, I, I tend now, to. Agree. Although you have allies, I can see you tend to lean one way if it's. I'm, you know, I'm not sure about this. It's, this has some pros and cons, but we've been friends with these guys for a long time, so we'll vote with them. Yeah, but but a blanket policy of doesn't matter what you do, we'll support you, is probably a bad one. Yeah, it sounds like a bad one. Yeah, and that has been both the liberal and conservative stance on Israel for a long time, though the current liberals are drifting from that as this story opposed. So uh, prime, the, during this question period, Justin Trudeau was not in attendance, so the deputy prime minister was fielding most of the questions. She called Israel a close and important friend of Canada and pledged Canada will always stand with the Jewish state. She also condemned, condemned an appalling rise in anti-Semitism at home and around the world. Michael Chong suggested liberals broke with Canadian policy at the UN last year to win support in the government's ultimately unsuccessful campaign for a Security Council seat, and then asked, when will the government restore Canada's long-standing opposition to these anti-Israel resolutions, which were upheld by liberal and conservative governments and put in place by former Prime Minister Paul Martin? Now, Freeland's response to that comment is what has Tories up in arms. She said, let me speak to Canada's place in the world and to our foreign policy. Today we are living in a world where there is a worrying rise of authoritarian regimes and a worrying rise of anti-democratic populism. 
our country in that world will always stand up for human rights and will always stand up for the rules-based international order that may not always be popular, but that is the Canadian way. Now, at the time, the opposition had a very mild reaction to that. However, they seem to have decided that maybe they can gain some points on this and have blown it up into a huge thing with one MP saying that Freeland linked Canada voting in favor of the resolution to a worrying rise in authoritarian regimes and asked, was the deputy prime minister seriously trying to compare Israel to authoritarian regimes? Aaron O'Toole has been attacking Christy Freeland on this for a while now. Christy Freeland says O'Toole is being deliberately dishonest. But I have to say, I think you can fairly compare Israel to some authoritarian regimes. Like, they're not... Maybe authoritarian light. Not yeah, really. No, no, no. I'm not saying Israel is authoritarian. But you can compare them to authoritarian regimes in the same way you can compare Trump to authoritarian regimes. Uh, Benjamin right. Netanyahu is a corrupt, anti-demic politician who is Prime Minister of Israel. He has tried to rig elections in his favor many times. He has been under police investigation, but he constantly uses his power to try to wiggle out of that. And so I would call call that anti-democratic yeah, and authoritarian-like. It's, uh, yeah, he's, it's it's one of those, it doesn't have, it's not first past the vote post. It's, it's proportional representation. Proportional representation. So, yeah. I mean, Netanyahu is the one in power, but it's not like, it's not like he gets an overwhelming majority or anything. Like, he's not he's not rigging the elections. People actually are voting for him. No, you're right. You're right. And I'm not I would never say that they are an authoritarian regime. But I would say... I would say they are populist. Benjamin Netanyahu is a populist regime, a right-wing populist. And I would say he's a man with authoritarian strongman tendencies, just like Donald Trump. And the human rights abuses... And the internationally illegal actions that Israel has taken under his government are undeniable against Palestinian people. I mean, most of their occupation of the West Bank is illegal under international law. They're violating treaties they've signed. They abuse Palestinians to an alarming degree. And, you know, you can... I I would also say it's almost theocratic. And I think you can support the state of Israel without supporting the actions of its government. Yeah. And I would say that is more what the liberals are currently doing. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I don't pretend to be an expert on that area of the world, but it, so, but a new leader wouldn't hurt there for sure. Yeah. And to also, there is a lot out there, wasn't talked about in this specific article, but people basically say any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. I think that's a horrible argument. Bernie Sanders, a Jewish man, criticizes Israel all the time for its treatment of Palestinians because, you know, you we're human and any human should be able to recognize when one human is torturing and mistreating and abusing the rights of another and you shouldn't excuse that because of your a race or religion. Yeah, that's true. And that goes for any race or religion. Yeah, I, I agree. But just you know, specifically talking about Israel. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I think the conservatives are making a big stink about nothing because they're behind in the polls still. Yeah, likely. They tend to do that. Anywho, speaking of the conservatives making a great big stink about nothing, conservatives have especially would-be finance minister Pierre Polyev, a front-bench conservative who is the shadow finance critic in O'Toole's quote-unquote government-in-waiting, has been making a great big stink about the quote-unquote Great Reset, which is across 
uh, it's sort of a spectrum conspiracy theory. The one far end of the spectrum basically says that uh, Trudeau and other leaders are going to use um, the pandemic recovery as an excuse to turn the world into a tyrannical communist regime. It's nonsense. And to their credit, that is not exactly what the conservatives are pushing. But Pierre Polyev specifically and the conservatives have been talking about, they've been using the term the reset or the great reset. And I think it's very damaging and pushes a conspiracy theory. I'll read from a CBC article. Conservative finance critic Pierre Polyev says building up the Canadian economy after the COVID-19 pandemic can't be achieved without a massive overhaul of the tax system and regulatory regime. But his party's, par- but his party's parliamentary pitbull says that all the pizzazz attached to the federal liberals' pledge of building back better, better, the reality is that those ideas aren't sustainable if the country's underlying economic system isn't dramatically retooled. Polyev and some conservative pundits have attracted criticism for advancing the idea that in the Liberals' post-pandemic strategy lurks a nefarious desire to dramatically overhaul existing social and financial systems in a way designed to benefit elites. The accusation riffs off of a speech Prime Minister gave in the fall related to how global leaders could close gaps in society laid bare by the pandemic. This pandemic has provided an opportunity to reset, he said. This is Trudeau. There is our, this is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. Now, Polyev has put out a petition against the Great Reset, where he quotes Trudeau as saying, this is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems, but conveniently leaves out the last half of the quote where he says that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. So they have kept talking up this liberal, this idea that the liberals are going to totally reset the entire economic system to benefit the elites and leave the working class behind and totally turn around norms in the country with no proof. Well, yeah, first, let's wait till they put a bill on the table. This is all talk. Yeah. Secondly, isn't it the opposite? Like what he said was the opposite of what they're saying, not benefiting the elites benefiting the working class and the poor yeah and that's what and that is the part that pierre polyev conveniently left out of his petition and advertisement for people to sign his petition against the quote-unquote great reset that is so weird why they're lying to get points the conservatives are lying to get points. well that's a that's that's a page from trump's playbook it is and they you don't you don't see what happened in the states and not learn from it yeah you certainly shouldn't and you should especially no no but i mean the way the conservatives are doing it they learned they learned how to do that. Oh. They learned that you don't have to tell whole truths. You can tell half truths, and it'll get you half the vote of the population. Yeah. It's, it's fear-mongering. They believe you. Yeah. It's, it's fear-mongering. It's not that they don't know any better. They believe you. They trust the politicians. Which, yeah, don't. Um, do your research, people. No matter what. I always, I, I generally, I don't fully trust politicians, even my own party. I always like to do my own research. But, yeah, that's, I mean, it's just so shady. It's so shady, and politicians lie all the time in order to gain points, parties lie all the time to gain points, but the fact that this is also then linked to a conspiracy theory about tyranny and stuff, they're not directly pushing that line, but by talking about it in the House of Commons, by using phrases even just like the Great Reset, they are lending an air of legitimacy to the extreme end of that. Yeah, and it's Uh, also, it's also, it didn't used to be, it used to be, half-truths, at least, like something that was based in a fact, whereas this is the opposite of what Trudeau said. Yeah. 
Like, it's, it's just crazy. It's lying. It's using half of a fact to lie. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Anyway, uh, moving to Alberta, you know, we were talking about how bad Alberta is. So Jason Kenney's UCP government put in a province-wide mask mandate, making it the last province in the country to do so. And they waited till we were the worst province in the country to do so. So good job. It's also just... he. I just don't find it that much of a struggle to wear a mask. Yeah, no, it's not. The only time... Because I, 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 when I at the hotel in Saskatoon, I was, I was at the gym and I was using the elliptical tough to use the elliptical and wear a mask but i did it's not it's not impossible yeah you can absolutely do it restaurants it's easy like it's all easy it's not hard (laughs) i know it's ridiculous and i think it's really uh, i mean he said in his press conference where he announced the new restrictions that we were one of the first provinces to tout the benefits of mask great but you didn't mandate it in any way well maybe he hoped that uh (laughs) People would just do it because they should, and it's smart, and it's good for them. Yeah, I, I just... Which would have uh, been nice, but yeah. it didn't happen. No, I mean, it, it was horrible. And even the new mandates that he put in were mask mandate, people... Now, I think this one is actually really smart. Um, people from grade 7 to grade 12 aren't going to school anymore. And I think that's smart, because those are generally the people who can look after themselves. Yeah. You know, spend a day. Whereas, you know, if you're, you have to go to work, you kind of need to drop your grade two or at grade two. Yeah. And you can spread them out. If it's the younger kids going to school only, you can spread them out amongst the classrooms. Yeah, exactly. So I think that was actually smart. However, getting them Uh, there is still the issue. Yes. And it is, I would say it's it's a smart move, but it's pretty late in the game. All of this is pretty late in the game. You are not allowed to have any indoor gatherings with anyone outside your households. Uh, You can't have outdoor gatherings of more than 10 people. But you can still take anybody in your household to a restaurant and sit at a table, up to six people, and sit at a table two feet from the next table where everyone's sitting around maskless. It's more than two feet. Yeah, but still, I just think it's ridiculous. At least the restaurants we went to, there was more than two feet between all the tables. It was, it was, they were, we went to two restaurants which has been here, one called Yanni's, 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 Yanni's. Yeah. If you live in Edmonton, you gotta go to Yanni's and order the flaming cheese. Yeah. It is outstanding. It is. It's, and and the rest of the food's good too. But that flaming cheese is is fab. I've done it at home twice now. It's not quite as good as Yanni's. My second time, it was pretty good, but outstanding. But but we weren't near anyone else. And then we went out for breakfast today at a at a restaurant called the Sugar Bowl, supporting the the local community with both our choices restaurant choices. Yeah. And again, lots of space. Like, yeah. There's no tables that are. There was somebody within. three feet behind me. Yeah, probably three feet. But you're facing in opposite directions. Yes. The first, the person that's facing you is on the other side of that table. Probably yeah. five feet. So. Yeah. I think they were well. I think I think the that's, restaurants are well spaced out here. Anyway. Yeah, it's that was that was maybe me being a little bit dramatic. But there are some serious loopholes where. Um, oh, but you cannot. But you, you know, can have I, one group go. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I'm not allowed to go to my friend's house, but we can both go to the mall, and meet up at the mall and hang out. Yeah. There's that's always, fine. Like, but, but any store. But here's the thing. Do you want all these things in the law? Can't you just do the right thing as I, I sit here in the Catherine yeah. house? Well, <laughs> we can't really be too harsh about that. But. No, that's true. No, and, and you know what? A lot of people can do the right thing, but a lot of people won't. That's the problem. Well, like, a lot of people are stupid about it. Yeah. And I've, I've been 
to West Ed once since the pandemic started because I had to, because it was the only place to get what I needed. And yeah, there's a limit of how many people they allow in each store, but the hallways are packed. Yeah. And sure, everyone's wearing a mask, but they're really close together. And the masks are only a, like a media, a mediating, mediating measure. So I, I think it doesn't go far enough. Um, well, the other thing it's also is, all late. And if you're going to do that, well, it, I mean, it is better late than never. And, and if you're going to do that, then you got to, the other thing you got to do is put in the, the tracing app and make it compatible with the one for the country. Cause that way, you know, if you end up, yeah, it's, if you walked by someone that had COVID then you can go and get a test. Yeah, absolutely. So there were some, there were some, what I would call highlights of Kenny's press conference as I was watching it that I, I really did quite enjoy. He said that when he was talking about the new school restrictions, he said that the schools had actually been doing fantastic and only 13% of all the schools in Alberta had outbreaks. And he was like, so that was really good. Good job. And I was like, that's, that's really bad. That's a bad number. If 13% of the population of Canada had COVID, you wouldn't be going like, good job, guys. Well done. You know? Like, like it's a low percentage, sure. If I got 13% on an essay, I'd be like, wow, that was, that was low. That's a very low mark. <laughs> but I don't know. I think, it, what is it in Ontario? What is it in the rest of the provinces? I, I, I mean, considering the fact we're the worst province in the country, I have to believe it's better. Yeah, I don't know. I, I without without comparison numbers, it's hard to say whether it's good or bad. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. He also told the story about a uh, quote unquote refugee from Venezuelan socialism, which I have to say is probably the most biased uh, ideological way you could say that. Uh, you know, just always sliding in a dig at anything even considered socialist. And I could rant about how Venezuela is not socialist. They are an authoritarian dictatorship not socialist. They just call themselves socialist. I'm not going to get into it, but Jason Kenney's wrong and he knows that. But he talks about how this refugee new to Alberta comes up to him and starts bawling her eyes out, begging him not to lock down the province because then her business will shut down and she'll have to sell and her family will be sent into abject poverty. And then the news found this woman and she was like, yeah, that didn't happen. I did talk to him. I never cried. Uh, we would not be sent into abject poverty. Uh, a lockdown would be admittedly very hard, very hard on our business, as it would be on any small business. But she says we would not, yeah, we would not be sent into abject poverty. We're better suited for that. And I'm not really a new refugee. I've been in Alberta for three years, and I was in Quebec for nine before that. So it was a very Trumpian like story, story where mostly made up. It's like it's like it should have had a based on true events disclosure <laughs> at the beginning, you know. Where it's like, this sort of happened. It's dramatized. Like the movie Argo. Yeah, exactly. Another fantastic part where he was saying that everybody needs to work together to keep it down because we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. We need to keep it below the capacity of the healthcare system. And I loved this because he spent the first year and a half in government cutting a whole bunch of healthcare funding and firing 11,000 nurses. Oh, that just means that it's a lower capacity. Yeah, so, exactly. And he's like, it, guys... Keep it under what, the reduced number that we have now. Yeah. He's like, guys, it's your fault that the hospitals are so strained, not mine. How dare you? And then he also said, he started off by saying, these are the minimum possible restrictions. And which essentially is like, guys, we are doing the least amount we possibly could. We are not really trying. Um, and then he also said, we don't want 
to get the COVID cases to zero. We just want to get it to fewer, which to his credit, I understand. He's saying that totally eliminating it from the province right now is unrealistic. We just need to get it to a handleable, like a more, more, a capacity that we can handle better. But still, watch what you're saying, buddy. I don't want nobody to die. I just want fewer people to die. You know, it would be nice to have a lower number of deaths. It's just, it was, it was a really funny, funny uh, press conference. And it was, I mean, I thought it was mostly stupid. And he said, when he was talking about why he's not putting into lockdown, he said that I didn't get into politics to dictate how people would live their lives, which I found especially rich because he spent his first years as a new MP from Calgary fighting against marriage equality and trying to deny spousal visiting vis- visits to uh, men with AIDS in the hospital, trying to deny their partner visits to them like a spouse. That's what he did. Like, those were his big issues as a first, his first year as an MP. But he didn't get into politics to tell people how to live their lives. Yeah. No! He got into politics to deny gay men rights because they're not people. Yes. <laughs> right? That's probably his view. So I don't think he thought he was lying. But it was just a mess. And then it came out just today that secret recordings were leaked from cabinet meetings with Dr. Hinshaw, who is the chief medical officer here, where Hinshaw was saying in her capacity as chief medical officer of the province, was like, this is not a good idea. We shouldn't spend some sort of test, some sort of blood test or something for COVID. She's like, this is not a good idea. We shouldn't spend a whole bunch of money in this. And then cabinet was like, but we want to. And then she was like, but it's a bad idea. It won't really help. And they're like, but we want to. And they're like 20 recordings. And all of it is essentially cabinet ignoring Dr. Hinshaw's advice and micromanaging Alberta Health's approach to the pandemic, which to me is very bad. Yeah, it's I, I I think the smartest politicians listen to the smart people underneath them. Yeah, I really think that the smartest politician is the dumbest person at the cabinet table. Really, I, I think you should always, at least on your general issues, like you should know, maybe not total, but you should know less about each portfolio than most of your cabinet ministers do. Yeah, probably. And, and people outside of government know about it. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You should also listen to your chief medical officer exactly. when it comes to health. Don't presume you'd know more. Risen up through the ranks. So, you know, if that was a bad idea, what did she suggest to do instead? Yeah, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, no, but I know I'm sure don't, she had some she, sort yeah. of, yeah, listen to her. And this is what you see. I mean, you see it again in Trump. You've seen it in Doug Ford a little bit. You've seen it in um, Francois Legault in Quebec. These, I, it, the only link I see is conservative men. Well, I gotta just say. don't listen. Ford is better. Generally been following what the people under him say, which is, to me, I was shocked and, 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 and happy. It's not, I mean, there's still issues. But he's taking the advice of the health people. Yeah, I, w- I would say the worst are Kenny and Legault. Um, but, but Ford has, especially in the beginning, he was better. I'd say he's gotten worse recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's, it's a problem. It's not every conservative premier. The ones in the Maritimes are doing all right. Brian Pallister, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan's doing okay, although it has gotten worse. Brian Pallister, not so much in Manitoba. Like I said, they were the second worst per capita for a long time. But still, ridiculous. Anyway, moving on, the Prime Minister's office bungled a call with Aaron O'Toole um, because normally after the calls between the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition, the both their offices release like a recap of the call. And <laughs> the call was at 5.15 and the Prime Minister's office released a recap at 4.30 <laughs> because apparently 
they put out a layout of what they're expecting to talk about in the call, and then they edit it after the call actually happens. Something just dropped upstairs. It's like, I guess, make less work for yourself, and they can get it out faster. So they released the, <laughs> the <laughs> call before it happened. I, like, I don't think it, it wasn't really damning, but it's just dumb. Yeah, dumb. It's just dumb. Yeah. So that's, you know, and I honestly, I'm not surprised that this prime minister's office did something dumb. They've done a lot of dumb things. Yeah. This is probably one of the more minimal. Funny, but... Yeah. Anyway, I have a few, two quick Trump things. Despite the fact that Trump has not conceded that he has, the, the White House has started the official transition of power. Joe Biden's getting his brief, presidential briefings, and he's getting the funding. So it's happening. That, to me, is almost as good as a concession. He doesn't actually have to concede. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't really care if he concedes. This was the big, big thing for me. But now that Joe Biden has access to that, we're good. And then uh, Trump has done his first pardon of the lame duck period of his presidency. The turkey? He's expected more. <laughs> I think the turkey was actually second. Oh, okay. Um, the first was Michael Flynn. Who no, that's who I remember. <laughs> he was uh, Trump's national security advisor and he went to jail because he confessed to guilty to lying to the FBI about Russian contacts. But Trump pardoned him because of course he did. Yeah, not surprised. I actually am surprised because he actually, he spoke... He spoke out no, against Trump. No, he didn't. Michael Cohen. Oh. Trump's lawyer spoke out right. against Trump. Yeah, Michael yeah. Flynn never. M- wrong Michael. Right. So, yeah, I would be surprised if Cohen gets Yeah, a, Cohen's not getting get a pardon. Not happening. <laughs> you, know, you think Trump holds grudges? I, I get that feeling from yeah. him. It's a sense, you know? Yeah. Well, the, the Wisconsin recount is done. Long story short, Biden still won actually gained 132 votes in Milwaukee County. But Trump is not giving up on Wisconsin. He was saying that it wasn't about the mistakes in the count. It's about people voting illegally. So apparently they have over 20,000 illegal votes in Milwaukee County because that's how much Biden won by. That's a real problem. They should look into that. I mean, these aren't small numbers. It's not six. Yeah. If it was six, okay, maybe there was six illegal votes. Maybe. I don't know. Could have been. They found two in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Both Republican. <laughs> Oops. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's 20,000. Is it really? If there was 20,000 illegal votes, then it's an issue. And this leads right into the next top point I have. All over the map, Republicans and Trump himself are, uh, are saying how this election was a fraud. It was a fraud. It was, it was rigged. And they use the word fraud. But in every single one of his court cases... The lawyers are very careful to point out that it is not a fraud because if you cl- make a lot, if you lie to your, if you lie to a judge in a court case, you can get, and you know, if you know it's not a fraud and you're lying, then you can lose your license, you can go to jail, you can get big fines. So when it comes down to the court case, they are very, very careful in saying this is not about fraud. No, it, whenever the judge asks, no, it's not about fraud. It's about this, that, or the other thing. So just another one of those things where, you know, lying to the to the populace because they, they just hope the populace won't look farther into it. And, yeah. and even, even in that... Most of them don't. Even in that Tucker Carlson, when he, we talked about last week, yeah, which you will hear at the same time because I'm putting these out back to back, basically. But uh, the I was busy this week. I was working. Actual <laughs> paid job. I couldn't just sit around and edit podcasts. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, he says... The 2020 election was not fair. No honest person would say it was fair. But, and then he 
you know, broke down how there was no fraud. Well, if there was no fraud, how is it not fair? What what does that mean? I don't I, know what that means. Maybe in the fact, I don't know, you could let maybe he's like, uh, Joe Biden lied a bunch or Oh uh, oh lies. Is that what he means? Yeah. Right? I don't know. I I mean I would say in a way I see it because I would say the 2016 election wasn't fair because the Russians rigged it and lied a lot and Hillary Clinton won more votes but still lost because of an unfair system but you know technically Donald Trump still legally won but this sounds a lot like I'm siding with them they have no argument from their bias no sorry I can't I, can't I just don't understand it. what they I, mean I, I, would, I would like more more why wasn't it fair well, yeah why wasn't it fair how is it not fair? Uh, yeah. I, if you can't, maybe it wasn't, but I just want to know what he meant by that. Like, yeah. if, it, if there was fraud, then yeah, that's not fair. But other than that, I, I don't understand. But I get that a lot with Tucker. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you something about my life. Closer to fine. I was, I was reading this week that officials in Jasper are warning drivers not to let moose lick your car. It seems that uh, moose need the salt. They tend to get it from salt lakes, uh, but they've discovered that they can get it from road salt, which is on the bottom of drivers' cars. However, the problem is this makes the moose more comfortable with the cars and can cause accidents, and which is neither good for the moose or the car, or like, the driver like of the car. I feel like it's worse for the car and the driver than it is for the moose. I don't... I don't, think the, moose, I don't think the moose tends to survive either, but it's it can be bad for everyone involved. <laughs> so There are no winners in that crash. If you're in Jasper and a moose is licking the bottom of your car, don't take pictures, just drive away slowly. Don't I wouldn't, the moose. As a rule, I wouldn't let your a moose get within licking distance of your car. They have long tongues. <laughs> I don't know. If, if a moose is like... I would keep, I would keep the COVID rules six feet. And if they have a six-foot tongue, that's some sort of demon moose. <laughs> I think you don't get out of the car. People try to get moose close to their car so they can get a good picture. Yeah, but that just feels dangerous. It, it definitely, yeah. Especially if they had big antlers. You think they know? You think they're antler aware? Yeah. Like as far as your windows and stuff go, they just turn to look to the side, and your front Smash. windshield's gone. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's uh, that's all yeah. I got there. Yeah, my closer to find is a 102-year-old Vancouver woman has set the Guinness World Record for the world's oldest curler. Hair? No, the sport. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was she a, was she a rock? <laughs> Somebody scooted down the... <laughs> no, I would imagine she's too brittle for that. She yeah. hits a curling stone and yeah. breaks everything. That's that's good. Good for her. Yeah, that's... Staying active at 102. Yeah, absolutely. Repping it. That's Is good. She, what, do you know what position she curled? Was she the... Throw a different... I imagine... She's got to throw the stone. I imagine she doesn't have the stamina no, 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 to do no. the sweeping. No, I mean, I mean, like a lead, second... Was she the skip? Was she a 102-year-old skip? This means nothing to me. The person that curls last? Like the, the guy that runs the team, the captain? Oh, the team, I have okay. no no idea. You curled. How do you not know what the position... I barely curled. Yeah. It was a long time ago. All right. Skip sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> and now... Uh, I want to start off with a, a story that I should have put under Trudeau or Bad Times, um, but a MLA, a UCP MLA from Alberta, recently got into hot water because she sent out a pamphlet to every single one of her constituents saying that the worst of COVID was over just before Alberta became the worst province in Canada. 
So that's not good. It's it's just it's typical. That's uh, and don't do that until <laughs> until you know. Don't do that. Yeah, and I this is I'm going to be very very vague right now because I forget what happened. But another Alberta an Alberta MP from Lethbridge was in trouble for lying about something else to her constituents. <laughs> Which, uh, Rachel Harder, yeah, is her name. And she she's spreading bad information about the virus. She's defending, like, freedom of speech and has supported... She said she tweeted, Your freedom is under attack. On May 11th, the Heritage Minister announced a government initiative to combat false and misleading COVID-19 information. And so people are saying that she is supporting the spread of false information. That it does sound like a, a freedom of speech doesn't mean say whatever you want. Doesn't really mean say what I mean you can have there's opinions and then there's facts and those lines are blurred now more than ever. Yeah. But you can't have an opinion about the spread of an infectious disease. Yeah. Like Oh, I think I I believe masks don't work. Well, doesn't matter what you believe. Yeah, that there's no there's no opinion on masks. Yeah, absolutely. They work. And they, they maybe yes, is the virus small enough to get through them? Yeah, but it it's it's not 100%, but it helps. Why wouldn't you do it if it helps? Yeah, exactly. And and this is I mean, this is really false information about COVID is is not something to be taken lightly. It is very damaging. People see it, they believe it, and then they do things to increase the spread. And also, it's true because uh, uh, in the beginning, they were saying, don't wear a mask. Now, I realize this was because there was a shortage of masks, and it was important that the hospital people have them. Yes. But they should have... And it, the, the, the thing is, it's dangerous if you say that, because people are stupid, and they'll just want a mask. Oh, mask help? I'm wearing a mask. Yeah. Right? They'll still take them from the hospital, buy up masks, so the hospital people don't get them, especially the N95 masks. So I get why they did it, but but as we learn more, and as different things come back in supply they they there is a constant change of best practices yes absolutely so just because it's something different being said doesn't mean it's wrong but you you have to make sure like like what i'm saying what i'm trying to say is if somebody says something different you don't automatically think it's wrong it could it could it could be right so if you read that article you might believe it even though it's wrong yes absolutely if you know what i'm trying to say it was a, uh, yes. it was a long road to get there <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. And and I think I actually I very much support the government trying to take active measure, measures to reduce the spread of false information because it could potentially save lives. And I think that it's I mean, it's individualism versus collective responsibility. And I think when it comes to public health, collective responsibility has to take precedent. And like like an individualist approach is what the problem that the United States is having. And that's why so many people are dying. Yeah. So anyway, that's stupid. But that uh, should have talked about that earlier, but I forgot about those stories until just now. My parting thoughts. Two things I was thinking about this week. I don't understand why polling underestimates conservatives so much. You saw it with Trump in the United States. Yes, Biden still won, not by nearly the landslide that many of the polls suggested he was going to have. The polls suggested that the Democrats were going to pick up seats in the House of Representatives. They nearly lost their majority. They su- it suggested that they were going to win a slim majority in the Senate. 
their their best chance is winning 50 of the 100 seats probably not going to happen they still have a shot in georgia but it's probably not going to happen and by and, and it was so much closer than people thought uh biden was supposed to win both north carolina and florida he did not and then you see it in canada as well jason kenny won by a larger margin than predicted in 2019 in the provincial election scott moe in the election that just happened in Saskatchewan. The NDP were expected to pick up two or three seats. Scott Moe was still expected to win, but the NDP was expected to pick up two or three seats. They lost three seats. So the only reason it makes sense to me is that conservatives, a certain chunk of conservatives, are scared to say that they're going to vote conservative. And to me, they would only be scared if they believed there was something actually wrong with it and then they decided they were going to do it anyway. Uh, could be. Or it could be they, you know, generally it's about believing in your your freedoms. And, you know, I mean, like everybody believes in freedoms, but they have a more individualist approach, typically. Yeah. And they don't want people to know who they're voting for. It's none of their business. <sighs> Maybe. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting phenomenon to me that... Polling underestimates conservatives time and time again. Yeah, it's worth. It might be worth some sort of study, by you know, not not something public because I don't want to pay for it. But you know, a private study. Yeah, not me, but somebody smarter than me. And the other thing I was thinking this week is I have decided that opinion articles are a bad thing in magazines and newspapers and the like. Yeah, I think it's a bad thing. And this is why. Because the way I see it right now, and I specifically notice it with the National Post, which I want to admit, I noticed because of my bias. The National Post tends to be a right-leaning publication, and they publish a lot of very right-leaning, right-wing opinion articles. But then on principle, I start thinking about it, and I have to say I think it applies to McLean's and Huffington Post and everything. Um, I don't think they should publish opinion articles. They shouldn't be allowed because... They can essentially publish any sort of outrageous article or headline they'd like, put the disclaimer opinion right before the article title, and they can publish whatever they want. And they choose what they want to put out for opinion, so they choose the narratives they want to put out. And then, you know, I've noticed a lot with the National Post, they can put out whatever sort of crazy right-wing nutjob conspiracy theory supporting thing they want, put opinion in front of it, but the fact that the National Post is publishing it gives it an air of legitimacy, makes people think, oh, well, maybe there's something to this. When frankly, there's not. I think it contributes a lot to the spread of false information. And I think I, I think publications are doing it knowingly. And like they use an opinion article as a way to get out of responsibility. I mean, I, th- I think every publication has an agenda. And yeah, they definitely put opinion articles out that are in line with that agenda. Hey, every uh, normally the newspapers have one writer that's the other way as well. But as long as it's opinion articles on on things where there's opinions. But it's like, but yeah, sure, maybe, except it's not. Because you see things, and again, from the National Post, because this is where I notice it the most, because they catch my eye and get me angry, where, again, they, they talk about how Trudeau is going to do the Great Reset and turn this into a social democratic country. That's just not, there's, there's no fact to back that up. It's not true. Or, you know, how mask wearing is nowhere near as effective as people say it is. Not true. COVID's not as bad as people say it is. Not true. Like, these are the opinion articles that I have seen published by the National Post. 
they shouldn't be allowed to publish these things that are just false, but, oh, it's an opinion, it's not ours, we're just the publisher. If the platform matters. Yeah, if you're saying, you'd have to cite the art, like, if somebody said masks are 100% effective, you know, then you can say, well, that's not true. Yeah. They aren't. But saying it, yeah, I don't know. But it's like that Rex Murphy nonsense we talked about once. Yeah. Like, it's just, you get away with so much by putting the credit on somebody else. But I, this is also why I don't give any credit to the so-called progressive conservatives in the conservative caucus, like Michael Chong, because you are, even if you don't support the idea, but support the platform, you're essentially supporting the idea. Michael Chong can talk all day long about how he is in favor of marriage equality, in favor of a carbon tax, in favor of uh, a, a woman's right to choose. And then he goes and he supports a party that helps give a platform to social conservatives uh, who talk about how women shouldn't have the right to choose, how climate change isn't real, how uh, a carbon tax is incredibly dangerous, how uh, there shouldn't be marriage equality, marriage should be between a man and a woman. You're essentially saying constantly that at best, uh, something like marriage equality is your sixth priority below beating the liberals, tax cuts, cutting, you know, deregulating the economy, uh, and, a, and a whole bunch of other things. You can't, or you're don't trying pretend. to change the party from the inside. Like need, I think, I think if you really... More, yeah. I think you need more people like that in the party. Uh, maybe, but I think that if they really cared about the harm, the real-world harm that happens every day because conservative politicians are allowed to stand up and express anti-Semitic, homophobic, Islamophobic, sexist views, that has real-world effect every single day. People experience real-world harm, and if they actually cared about that, they wouldn't stand for it. They would leave the party and form a true progressive conservative party, but no, beating the liberals and tax cuts are more important to them than the real world harm that definitely still happens because they give a platform to people who are hateful. It, it, it attracts the far right wing because it's the only option for sure. But I do think, I think you're better off trying to change it from inside if, if you have those leanings. But I, who's, is he trying to change it from inside? Because he definitely. If he's making these statements, you have to see how he votes on bills and that. But if he comes it's in a and whipped, says this, It's a whipped yes. vote. I mean, it's whipped votes half the time. And he only talked about that during his leadership bid. But okay, let's not talk about Michael Chong. Let's talk about Aaron O'Toole, who keeps Derek Sloan in caucus. Mm-hmm despite the fact that Derek Sloan ran up an awful campaign, who has expressed great interest in inviting Leslin Lewin into caucus, uh, Leslin Lewis, who um, expressed a whole bunch of homophobic and Islamophobic views in her campaign. I, I can't think... This is unexcusable to me. If you yourself say, I don't support, or I support marriage equality, and then, but then you lend your support to somebody who is homophobic... That just totally discredits your saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, when you say I'm not homophobic, but you support somebody who is, you're giving a microphone to somebody spreading hate groups and allowing them to reach more people. Like, that is just as bad as saying it yourself. It's not ideal. I mean, I, I, I understand when you have a list of whatever, 20, 30 things that are important to you when it comes to a party, and there probably is no party that is on side with those 20 or 30 things. What do you mean? Whatever's important, uh, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, whatever you consider is important for the running of a country. I suppose. I mean, my number one is people. And if you have any policies that are hurting people and causing people to be discriminated against, 
that automatically rules you out for me. Yeah, but some would say that every party has has policies that where someone is discriminated against. Okay. I would disagree with that person. I would say that taxing a rich person more is not discrimination. Well, no, that's not discrimination. So what would what would the who's the NDP uh, discriminating against? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But maybe I don't. I I don't know all the NDP NDP's policies top to bottom. But there's there's probably people that have issues with some of them. Maybe. I I just uh, we we went off of opinion articles. Yeah. Opinion articles bad. Yeah, I get it. Because but but the other thing is they write the factual articles in a way that toward their bias as well. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. It's a separate problem, yeah. But so does... And that's not just a right-wing thing. It's no, both sides. No, absolutely. I, I will totally say it is both sides. And and that's why I say, like, Huffington Post opinion articles for the far left that are not so. Well, mine are a little bit lighter, I gotta say. I was I had to fly to Saskatoon, and traveling with no one traveling is so civilized. <laughs> I went through... I had to make a phone call once I got through security. Just as I was pulling up to the airport, I'm like... Give me 45 minutes to an hour, and I'll give you a call. And within 10 minutes, I was through. There was no, it was literally no one in front of me. I walked right to security, put my bag on the thing, went through. Didn't see another person until I was putting my belt on on the other side. Then somebody finally came up behind me. What time of day? Uh, when did I fly at? Evening. Oh. Like 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Something okay. like that. Probably a little busier around noon. Maybe, but very nice. And the airport's dead. You can walk through it. There's nobody around. It was very, very nice. <laughs> and then driving here... Saskatoon to... Saskatoon to Alberta, which was illegal, but so be it. Maybe not illegal, but... Unadvisable? Unadvisable. There's, uh, there's a town called Lethbridge. And I, I remember this now from, from the drive home that we took from from Yellowknife when we moved back to Ontario we went through Lethbridge as well but the Alberta Saskatchewan border goes right through Lethbridge so half of Lethbridge is in Alberta and half of Lethbridge is in Saskatchewan it's also pretty much the halfway point between Edmonton and Saskatoon yeah so it's it's just uh it's a very nice town and I, I just think that that's sort of I don't know cooperation somehow I, I like it. I like I like being in the middle of the town and switching not, promises. Okay, but it's not Lethbridge. Oh. What is it? I, I'm not sure. There is a town, you're right, but Lethbridge is is not. It's not Lethbridge. It's uh 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 filler, dad, vamp. I'll figure out. <laughs> I wrote down Lethbridge, I don't know why. Lloyd Lloyd Minster. Lloyd Minster. It's Lloyd Minster. Because it started with an L, which is why I wrote down Lethbridge. But Lloyd Minster is the town. It is halfway between, is that right? Yes, it is Lloydminster. It says halfway between, I got it before you had looked it up, just for the record. <laughs> halfway between Saskatoon Edmonton and the, the you you were at a stoplight, and at that stoplight there's a sign that says Alberta-Saskatchewan border, yeah. and as you cross over you switch provinces. It is. I think that's pretty cool. 275 kilometers west of Saskatoon and 250 kilometers east of Edmonton. Yeah, it's close to the middle. It's almost too, the yeah. exact middle, yeah. Anyway, speaking of, I'm about to drive through it back to Saskatoon for a couple more days of work, so we'll talk at you next week. Bye.